Welcome to Common Threads, produced by Artifacts, the podcast that brings tailors together through open and authentic conversation. We post new episodes periodically, talking with tailors, merchants, and other businesses that make up the sartorial world. Make sure to visit our website at discoverartifacts.com and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the show. Well, yeah, and then that also kind of brings us to the management and organization and teaching in tailor and tailor shops. Like, is there a method or structure that is in place to help move the employees forward? Um, a lot of times in business, business in general, you know, not just the tailoring industry, when there's a problem, um, a business or a company might think, that it's their employees that are the problem. It's their people that is the problem. And then there's kind of the other side of things, which, um, you know, consult business consultants might say, actually, it's the management and how you're dealing with that problem that is the real issue. So how do you see management in tailoring houses? Uh, do they have plans for the tailoring industry for the future? Uh, I mean, are we at this level where it's like, this is what tailoring is, and this is what it's going to stay like, and that's that? I hope it doesn't stay like that. Well, I think my opinion on management, I think it everything does come down to management, really, because you like as the boss, you are the one hiring the people, you're the one setting up the company culture, um, showing like basically showing or setting up the process of training, so that it does kind of lie with you as the boss and I'm kind of I'm not being too harsh on like like what past people have done but I'm saying for myself if I was to set up something that's how I see it everything would lie with me ultimately why do you think those systems aren't in place it's because a lot of these people haven't had like they didn't come at it from a business angle they come at it from a like coat making angle or whatever they just it's not like they're a CEO and they've had past CEO experience at other companies. They are like a maker and they haven't really spent their time looking at like reading or like doing courses on this or think little things that could help. Like reading books, like books about business or management or what, what type of books, what types of books and courses do you mean? Yeah, I mean like business books or like, I guess with every other industry, I imagine like if you're a manager at enough at a big company, you would like I don't know do different like seminars or like at least educate yourself in terms of what's happening in the world of like business and like culture and things, and like you'd at least have some engagement in that, like by reading or networking with other people or going to talks and stuff or events. I think what I'm understanding what you're saying is that people in the business community focus on continuous improvement. Uh, they have goals and they're continuously trained. And, you know, I don't think by any stretch that going to a one-day conference on management is the answer to anything. Um, but I do think the thought uh, or the drive to learn and the drive to work well with people and to manage well and to have a team mentality is something that 
is not really found in tailoring. Um, I think it's found in very few shops. I think one of the biggest gripes of leadership consultants and management consultants is that those promoted to leadership role often aren't trained on management and leadership. It's pretty much just expected that, like in tailoring, if you're a good coat maker, then you're going to be great at running a tailor shop or that you are um, entitled to be running a tailor shop because you're a great coat maker. Do you think there's some sort of aspect there that maybe we could improve upon? I think maybe it's a different generation now and a different way of thinking because when I said it, when I was talking about business, I just kind of meant like the very basic things just weren't there. Like I would be like, are we going to have a meeting? Like we would just turn up to work and do the same thing every day and same issues would occur. And I'd be like, I think maybe we should have a meeting or like a one-to-one or group meeting, but no one in the company had ever had a meeting. And that's just crazy. Like when you compare it to other companies yeah, when I think about things now, I think our generation maybe is a lot more like even the the fact that we're like recording a podcast now, that's like marketing and communication and we're doing this on a Sunday, you know? It's a different we're not like working away on our boards right now. We're not like chilling out. And I think it's a different it's just like business is almost just incorporated incorporated into just the world and the way of doing things a lot more like social media like how many times do we pick up instagram and stuff like and look at that every day that's just part of the world yeah i think a lot of what you're saying stems from the fact that there really hasn't been a steady supply of tailors and so there hasn't been a smooth transition of knowledge between the generations and i think maybe now we're living through the effects of that yeah i mean is that kind of the same in Italy? Because here there's like massive gaps. So there's like people in their 70s and then there's people, the next gap is like people in their 20s and there's not. There's a few people maybe in their 30s or 40s, but only a couple. And I don't really know how they kind of got into the system because they kind of, they didn't come through like Newham or anything like that. But there's a massive, there is a massive gap in them. Wondering if that's the same for for you as well. Oh, yeah. In Italy, that is most definitely the situation. Uh, right now, in particular, in the tailor shop where I'm in, the head tailor and cutter is 84 years old. And there's not really anyone between myself and him in age, which uh, which is difficult, right? And it's like, how do you teach someone or uh, you know, or what type of work environment are you working in and is that conducive to keeping things in forward motion and creativity uh you know i'm not and i'm not by any means trying to say to get rid of the older people in tailoring you know we most certainly need those people and in, in their expertise i do want to kind of note the difficulties that go along with learning from somebody who generationally and most likely mindset wise is dramatically different from yourself so, Laura, just kind of changing topics on you here. What do you think about the popularity of tailoring? Because, you know, as I'm seeing it, it seems like there's a big resurgence and that there's a lot of interest. I remember, it was, I think it was the other day, I was on Instagram and I saw that Stephen Hitchcock had posted some of the questions that people had been asking him. You know, he posted on his Instagram story, asked me a question, 
and you know I'll, I'll respond to you. I'll get back to you and answer that question. And so he posted the questions that he had received and the answers that he had given. And it seemed like almost all of those questions were focused on how do you become a tailor uh, or what's the best literature for learning to be uh, learning to be a tailor or a cutter? Uh, what are the best books for tailoring? Are there any schools for tailoring? I mean, almost all of the questions were on how to become a tailor. Um, I don't know if you're seeing that. How, how do you see that? Uh, and is there a lot of popularity in tailoring today? Or are those people that are kind of maybe just fans that might not get into it? They're just kind of playing around with the idea. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I saw that too. And I was like, everyone is asking for book recommendations. Isn't that funny? Which, by the way, if they are looking for books, I believe you have an archive on your Instagram of the tailoring books as well as business books, right? Yeah, I have like an IGTV where because people ask me the same thing. So I've kind of addressed that on an IGTV. And I've also got under my highlights and on stories, I've got book recommendations. But in terms of yeah, I definitely think there are like more and more people wanting to get into tailoring. I think maybe it's been like that for the last 10 years that I've seen. So do you see those people becoming tailors? Like are the people that you saw 10 years ago tailors or or do you do they have a higher proficiency? Like I would hope after 10 years of working in a tailor shop that they would have a pretty high proficiency, right? Well, I think people get into it, learn it, and then seem to leave it and then do something else. And sometimes that something else can be completely unrelated. I don't know how many people actually want to get into it and then do the whole, like, you know, five, six-year stretch of it and then continue on with it as a career. I think there's, like, a different perception. I think when you look at Instagram, it looks kind of glamorous. Even, like, when you see, like... Stephen Hitchcock's like shop on like Chilton Street or like everyone wearing nice suits you're like this is great like and then I think people get into a little bit more I guess there's different levels like there's the work experience level or college and then slowly like loads of people drop out like when we went to Newham I think it started being like three classes or like 30 people and by the end there's like 10 people and that's just like the first filtering system before you even get into like work experience or like even get an apprenticeship, you know? And nobody tells you that, right? I mean, it's not like you go to Newham College and they say, look, nine out of 10 of you aren't going to be here by the end of this. And even fewer of you are going to be able to get an apprenticeship after. Yeah, I definitely don't think people say to you like this is, and it's not in their benefit, is it? If they're gonna, like if they're charging you like X amount to come and do the course, it's not really in their benefit for them to be like, you know, this is a really hard career and it's going to take you like X amount of time. Uh, you're probably not suitable for it. Like, but yeah, there definitely aren't that many people that come out and say like the working conditions aren't that good or the pay isn't that good. And so, yeah, I'm working freelance, but I don't really take work from at the moment from like, I kind of work directly with customers. I'm not working I'm not going and picking up work from Savile Row. So like, yeah, I can sit here and say that. Whereas most people aren't going to sit there and say that when they need to get work. So it's a weird, like, I think that comes back to another thing, like a power dynamic in tailoring. Who is the power dynamic between? 
well I guess when you're learning like your kind of mentor or like the main coat maker has all the power and then you don't and then there's again there's different like power structures between like the cutter and the maker even when you are trained like you can't really sit and criticize somebody if you need to go get work from that kind of from that person you know yeah and it's difficult both for the apprentice and the person teaching because the apprentice is there trying to learn but not all tailors are really willing to teach or even good at teaching um plus tailoring has never really been viewed from the learning perspective at least in my understanding apprentices have kind of always been viewed as something that you know takes away from the business and never really as something that could grow and help the business so you know you're kind of shooting yourself in the leg if you take on someone as an apprentice that you already view that person is taking something from you like they owe you something i just think that puts unnecessary tensions on an already difficult task which is becoming a tailor and i think they're only i think the apprentices are only going to be as good as the dedication that that person teaching them is willing to give them well first of all i think this whole thing is about like a relationship between one person and another and i would say it's really important to pick the right person that you're going to work with and maybe not focus so much on the company but focus on who like that one individual that you're going to be working with and make sure that you have a good relationship with them and if you don't hopefully you're in a company that does have like HR or does have like another person that you can maybe move over and work with but I mean it's quite rare like apprenticeships don't really come up that often I mean most people might not be willing to teach and might not want a person to work with them so there aren't that many gaps so again it's like you are kind of being an apprentice you're not in a powerful position there aren't that many options it's difficult I think I don't don't really know the solution to it well yeah and then on top of that power dynamic there aren't exactly a ton of women in tailoring so I wonder if that adds even another layer of complexity I mean what's that been like for you or what's your experience with that been like like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by subscribing now if you have any thoughts or comments please feel free to share them with us on instagram facebook or directly on our website at discoverartifacts.com now back to the show yeah, I think it is a difficulty and I think that is one one thing that we could work at. I think there will there are going to be more women in the trade inverted commas. Um so I think once you kind of equal out hopefully there'll be more women in higher positions and this is this isn't just about tailoring this is I guess about this could apply to many other areas of work but I think once there is someone in the room that can be like, hey, look, I've gone through this and also I can see that this could be a problem. Like, in terms of the male and female dynamic, I think because men maybe haven't gone through, like, they can't pick up, like, the subtleties, so they can't pick up the little things that maybe, like, you can spot if you've been through certain things. And I think if you have someone in the room to at least be like, hey, look, 
that is an issue and they have power so they can maybe stop it or redirect it I think that is one way of solving that and then that is the female male issue and there was something else I think you mentioned well yeah it was just on closing the gap uh on the power dynamic uh like we were saying earlier but on a related topic how have you seen information being divulged like are are there direct and specific answers to your questions uh do other people other tailors want to explain different techniques and why those techniques are how they are uh, and then i also i guess it, it would also depend on what level you're at at the point they're asking those questions right because you know if if you have someone who is just learning how to use a thimble and they ask you how to put on a collar it's almost i i hate to say the word useless but it's almost useless to explain to them that process because i don't think they would necessarily be able to understand that explanation yeah in terms of knowledge so I guess yeah I definitely did find it hard to like even find someone that would show me things and teach me things and I guess I naively thought like getting a job would mean that I'd be shown things and I just thought that's just what would happen and it didn't immediately happen so I think there's two things I think there's like learning things at the appropriate kind of stage which you touched upon and that comes down to management in terms of setting things out I think like right this is what we're going to do and this is how you're going to progress and kind of like resting that person's mind at ease like there is a structure and you are going to progress but this is how we're going to do it and you're going to do it properly because you need to know like it doesn't it's not going to make sense like you said to learn how to do sleeves if like you're padding it's just not a good use of anyone's time and I think there does need to be a respect level because you are taking up someone's time if they're not compensated for it immediately. So there's that. And then I think there just needs to be way more like, there needs, if there's more tailors and more people coming up through the system, there's more people that you can, there's more competition, which is actually a good thing. There's also more people who can show you things. It means that like, if someone does something that is like messed up, like, and they should be fired, they can actually be fired because you can have a replacement. It's not like that person's just there because there's no alternative. Yeah, so I think just having more people within the industry and also not being fearful. I think maybe people are, are scared of their, like, of their job being like undercut or things like that. Of teaching someone maybe too much, you know, like the classic fear of tailors teaching a younger person and then somehow that person with far less experience than them takes their job. Maybe. I think I think that is a thing. Or like holding people at a certain level because it's more beneficial for them to just stay at that level and keep on putting like pockets in, let's say, and not getting to the stage where they're then freelance and then you have to find another apprentice uh, to like do your basic work. But that's not what apprentices should be there for. Um, they shouldn't be there just to do all the work you don't want to do you know that's just you being lazy there should be there should be a proper system in place where like that there's benefits to the employer whether like this is like government funding or whatever it should basically benefit the employer and it should benefit the apprentice and I don't know the best way of working that out but I think that would help with people not like doing weird things (laughs) Well, I think part part of that is that there's a lot of ambiguity 
and tailoring, or at least in my experience, there's been quite a bit of ambiguity. Uh, I think part of that is because it's easier to depend on one person. You know, like in Italy here, many of the shops are run by one person, and it's usually the oldest guy in the room who's been there the longest. Um, but, you know, there are answers, direct answers, to the questions that are out there. Um, they ex- they do exist. But I do think having ambiguity for someone who's running a tailor shop allows them to allows them to kind of control things um and you know maybe in that tailor shop maybe that's helping the business i you know maybe it is maybe it's helping business maybe the employees are happy with that they're happy with their work that they're doing but i don't think that that's necessarily helping things in the long term what do you think yeah i mean i think there's two things like one thing is that like as a cutter or maker, you're always going to have like your own individual like style and flair and like the way you look at things is going to maybe be different. And it is ambiguous because to it's like in your head and in your eye and what looks good to you and that kind of like style of your house. And that's kind of hard to replicate and to teach. But then I think that that's a whole different other thing to like one person literally knowing everything and controlling like the process and what everyone knows. And that's kind of like making sure that people can't go off and start their own thing or like they're not going to advance or progress. And it's like a lot of these people are older, not all of them, but if they're like in their 70s and you want your company to continue on after you like, leave or retire or whatever you kind of need someone to take over and again I think that that is maybe short-term thinking people aren't thinking like I want yeah I want someone to like take over and continue on this legacy or maybe the company isn't even going in that way like there are companies in London who kind of have that one person who who do everything and then they expand but like they expand in terms of their ready to wear and they see that as their future so that they open like a ready to wear shop instead of continuing the bespoke and maybe what that is what the legacy is going to be well and there really is no issue i guess expanding into ready to wear and that's a decision i think that you have to make in correspondence with your values and the core values of your business but expanding a bespoke business i think requires a lot of dedication and work and discipline in terms of how you're going to expand it because it's not something that's quick. Uh, Like we were kind of saying earlier with learning, you know, it's not something that's uh, easy. And, you know, the expanding of a bespoke business requires training people. And I think being honest with people and teaching them everything that you can and then treating them with respect so that they stay with you, I think that's a good thing. Like you were saying earlier about training people, like people training on Savile Row, and then they leave, you know, I would see that as a huge problem. Like, well, why are people leaving? I don't want people to leave the place that's supposed to be this, this great haven of tailoring. Like, you know, I want those people to stay, I've trained them. And obviously, all of this, I think is much easier said than done. But uh, anyway, what do you think about that? I agree. I think that's, it is like a massive problem, really, to train people and then for them to leave. I mean, yeah, I I agree with you. And I think, again that's just where to me it's common sense to just look at it and be like why is this happening over and over again and then try and like implement some solutions and I think 
having something where one people can progress whether that is like financially or whether that's like moving up in terms of learning more stuff and having different positions and two I think having some flexibility in work and I mean things are changing now because of COVID but I think like people's lives change like when you're 25 it's going to be different to when you're 30 and then when you're 35 it's different to when you're 30 like I think accepting that people's lives don't stay the same and you may need to work from home and I know we are doing that now because of COVID but like before maybe that wasn't even an option to have like I don't know a three month gap or to have like some kind of working from home or like flexible hours just again to me it's like basic stuff but that is the difference between like say if you have a child and then you need to drop them to school or if someone's sick and you need to look after them or you just might need like a two-week break you know like it's those kind of things that I think would help and again I think working for yourself is going to become even more attractive now because you can the way that you can connect with customers and people so I think it's it's making sure that people do stay in house. And I think a lot of us did want to stay in house, but I think because of various things like working conditions and wanting to have a future, I think all of us were like, Okay, we're just gonna have to take go for the riskier option. Take the matters into your own hands. Yeah, like basically take the short term risk and then hopefully long term it will pay off because it's not gonna work like to stay working on Savile Row. Yeah, and so that brings us to something that you touched on, which is being independent and having a sustainable business. Obviously, you're a fan of being a freelancer and of of being independent and having fewer clients, but kind of controlling all of the steps of the process. Why do you think that we can do that today? Well, I think you have to compare it to the alternative. And I think, say, if I wanted to, well, me or someone else wanted to start up a business on Savile Row and do bespoke, it would be impossible. Like, it's... Either you'd need to fund it through like made to measure, like basically you'd need another thing to support the actual bespoke. So then you look at the other options of like going, moving further outside London and doing your own thing. And um, obviously the rents are better so you can have a bespoke business. And then it's like just looking at the numbers and being like, instead of making loads of suits that like, and maybe a low, not it's not a low price but like a lower price you could have there are people like michael brown that sell for i think i think between six to eight thousand pounds and he takes on less clients but he does more stuff himself so well yeah and then that also means he has more control over that process and then in terms of working conditions that would change things right as well yeah, I mean, if, if you're in the, if you can set, if you are your own boss, then you can control the hours you work. Or, well, I think in a small operation like that of Michael Brown, I'd imagine each person also has more responsibility, and so what I'd hope would happen is that the working conditions for everyone would go up, right? Yeah, I hope so. And also, if you're if you are a smaller unit, then you can really see what is going on, rather than if there are like fifty or sixty people making you don't have that connection with people and I think as well if you put all that effort into trading people up and your business relies on it you can't immediately just access someone else then you really do think about hiring the right person I think as well hiring someone that actually wants to like just make coats let's say over someone who wants to do everything I think you make smarter decisions in terms of hiring and like retaining staff 
and keeping everyone happy. Yeah, thinking about what that person's or what that potential employee's, what their goals are and what they see themselves doing because not every employee wants to do everything from A to Z. Like they want, you know, they, they want to be a coat maker or maybe they want to be a trouser maker. Just doing everything isn't necessarily for everyone. And I kind of want to touch on a conversation that we had one time. And we talked about the difference between wrong and different and tailoring and what that means. And in Italy, there's this saying, ognuno al suo metodo. And that means that everyone kind of has their own way of doing things. Basically, everyone has their own method. And I think it holds true. Uh, and I would imagine that it holds true for you as well. Yeah, I mean, we did discuss that. And I think I've seen it, I guess, when you're learning or when, even when you go in and show other people your work or you have a look at people are like you're with a group of other tailors and then they look at another coat and they're like, oh, like, you know, that's that's so wrong. Or like, why is this like that? And it's just like a whole kind of, I don't know, it's just very negative and I think instead we should, for example, I guess with English and Italian tailoring, all like English people would look at the Italian tailoring and be like, that's wrong. But it's not wrong. It's just like different. It's like lighter or the canvas is constructed differently. It's not incorrect. It's just different because of the way that you may want the garment to feel or uh, how much drape you want or the weight of things so it's like like form follows function basically and mm. seeing it like that in terms of it's just wrong because it's not the way that I do it or the way that I've been taught to do it definitely and then also that leads to appreciation for your colleagues and for other tailors you know I think it's important to note that difference between wrong and different and at the end of the day to have respect for other people that are are producing high quality garments and even if they're not how you would do it stylistically uh, or in terms of make I think it's important to give respect to people who are wholehearted wholeheartedly you know uh, they're using handmade techniques or using traditional techniques and uh, they're wholeheartedly and, and truly trying to be the best that they can be I, I think that negativity um, hurts the world of tailoring more than it would help any individual or, or any tailoring house. Agreed. I think people should look at other people's work and be way more positive about it and like celebrate like the little bits on it, which are like great and maybe not the same as your work, but like at least appreciate like the hand stitching and stuff. And then they should focus on themselves and think, how can I be the best version of myself and not see it as a threat or a competition, or you don't need to put anyone else down, or anything else down. And even I have to kind of remind myself, like we were talking about, like made to measure or ready to wear, like, I don't need to be so like, negative about that. I need to, I don't know, I guess, appreciate other people and what they can bring to the table as well. And what can, I don't know, something that I may not immediately gravitate towards, like made to measure, like, how could that be great for like a different type of customer and stuff? So yeah, it's just valuing other people and what they can bring. And I think it has a lot to do with awareness. If you think, like you said, with made to measure, it's like, okay, well, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the point of made to measure? I think some of the strong points of made to measure are the quickness, the consistency with which garments can be produced 
and the silhouettes that can be produced. I mean, there are some really good things about made to measure, but it all depends on what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, what are the needs of the client? What are the goals of your business? Uh, you know, what are your personal goals as a tailor if you're a tailor, or what are your personal goals as a, a business person if, if you're a business person? Agreed. And I think as long as that's communicated to the customer, then I like what is the issue with that? Are there any tailors that you can think of or maybe that you know that when you see their work or maybe when you're talking with them, you think like, oh man, I really like what they do or there's something you admire about their work or maybe even about their personality? I said it before, but I'm a big fan of like David's work at Geese and Hawks. And I've always been kind of a fan of his work. Like since, since I was like getting into tailoring and going to Newham, he was like something that I'd always look at and be like, I like that he draws and illustrates and he does like projects. So he's not just, he like, I respected the fact that he could make and he could cut. I liked how he communicated his work through Instagram and stuff. And it was just very different. I guess he was one of the exceptions in terms of age as well. He's like bang in the middle. Like he's not, you know, like a, He's not in the 70 to 80 year old category. He's not in the 20 to 30 year olds either. So he was someone that I could look at and be like, almost like a role model and be like, right, he cuts and he makes, he draws, he's artistic. And I think that's really important to have like role models and people that you can look up to in tailoring and aspire to be like, because if there's no one that you can visualize yourself being, then I think that is, yeah, it's, it's difficult to progress and well yeah i mean it's difficult to progress without goals right if there's no vision for the future i think it's very difficult to to figure out what your next two or three steps are um but i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there no i was just gonna say if you can see it then you can work towards it and you kind of like you said you have a goal well yeah i mean to have more communication have more dialogue and that's you know that's what we're really trying to do with artifacts is create that space for dialogue where people have respect for others uh, and, and work together to find solutions, not problems. And one other thing that I wanted to ask you about was the community of tailoring in London um, and what it's like, because I you know I've spoken with other people who, uh, who've worked on Savile Row and they say they love working there because there's this kind of small community and there's some camaraderie. Um, you know, you can go out to lunch with colleagues has that been your experience and what's that been like for you yeah I think that is one of the benefits of having um like all the shops on Savile Row like you go out at lunch for like a walk or to get some food and like you bump to like three different people and you can catch up or you're at a work event and then you see someone from a different company and you can just kind of be like what stage are you at especially because all of us went to Newham then you could kind of compare and like share your stories. And I think that's really helpful when you kind of need a team of people around you to pull you up and to like give you support and also just share different ideas like meeting, you mentioned George and Bert, meeting them, going to Italy. That like taught me a whole, it just showed me a whole different side to things as well. Or, or like, I guess, communicating with Reza still and being like, what are you up to? And like, because we're kind of our journey has been kind of similar but different so it's it's like having people that you can talk to 
that have literally gone through the same things that, that you have that know the same set of people that can just help you, I guess. Yeah. So it seems, I mean, it seems like you have to have people all around you. Basically you need people to inspire you to be better at every level. Um, whether you're at, uh, the beginner's level or at an advanced level. And I think that is actually one of the really strong sides of Savile Row, you know, that you have a variety of skill levels and you have such a high concentration of people that are committed to tailoring. Yeah, and hopefully it will get better because that, like, whereas there's a big gap, like, whereas maybe now there's not that many people to, like, look up to, there's, like, like for example, there's not that many female, like, role models, let's say. There may be a couple, but there's not, like, loads. Hopefully, with the next generation, like, coming up in, like, I don't know, 20 years, 10 years' time, there's going to be, like, more people to look up to, and then there'll be equally as many people, like, that can support each other at the same level, hopefully. Do you think there's leadership in the industry? No. <laughs> That's no. so blunt, but no, I don't think there is. Because I think I think people, I think it's sad, but I think there are people, maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're scared, maybe they've got obviously responsibilities, but I think there's issues that are like very clear for us to see. And I think there are people in positions of power that could do things are not doing anything and to me that's leadership like that is that is like looking at the situation and being like it's not like people should be making people's lives easier but it should just at least be fair like some of the things that happen and I think people should be a bit more bolder in terms of spotting certain things and being like okay we're gonna fire this person because they've done this and it sets an example I think if people know they can get away with it they'll get away with it and I think that's I think there should be I think leadership, there needs to be leadership. And I don't know, I feel like there, there isn't. Sometimes people take the easier way out. That's just my opinion on things. I think one mark of a great leader is someone who once they reach a certain level of responsibility or competency, um, they look back and they say, okay, how can I make things better now? Yeah, like to me, leadership, like a leader shouldn't have like an easy life it like they shouldn't just be sitting there and resting they should be like a leader is someone who like gets in and like serves and like creates communities and fixes problems and stuff like that and that's kind of I don't know maybe like I hope for myself that I'm that kind of person I think there are many ways that a person can be a leader and I think responsibility is definitely up there at the top of the list in terms of traits of a leader uh, which is a great thing because that means that you don't have to hold a, pos a special position to lead. There's kind of this misconception um, of what being a leader is. And, and in reality, you can be a leader at any level, uh, you know, and you don't need to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company to do so. Um, taking responsibility and taking care of the people that are around you, regardless of what your position is or how it affects you, I, I think is quite courageous and I think can have really profound effects on any industry. And on that, Laura, I want to thank you for uh, coming on Common Threads and talking with me. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, what's the best way that people can, can get in touch with you or see your work? Uh, I will say if you're interested in Laura's kind of evolution and tailoring to check out the article we have on our website at discoverartifacts.com. Uh, but alternatively, you're pretty active on Instagram. Well, I mainly use Instagram so that's where I'm most active and I post mainly I, I post there like pretty much every day 
whether it's a story or a main post. So uh, my Instagram is Laura underscore Teasdale. And on that, you can also like, uh, I think there's like an email button if you need to email or want mm. to have a chat about anything. People want to discuss tailoring things, contact me via Instagram. And you also have on there, like I was saying earlier, you kind of feel like have like these different sections, like you have the books that you're reading uh, and you also started the tailored diaries, right? Oh yeah, I have tailored diaries and that's something I started during lockdown and it kind of varies between like things that I've like, I'll write a post about things that I've done or like write a post about Savile Row or I'll ask people like what things you want to know like about tailoring and I'll do a question and answers or like how to get into the industry. There's one on that because I'd get so many emails on that and I was like, it's just easier for me to do a, a quick video than send loads of emails. Well, Laura, I want to thank you again for agreeing to do this episode of Common Threads with me. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to doing it again and perhaps, you know, uh, talking about maybe some more technical things or even leadership again. Leadership's always a great topic. Yeah, that's cool. Like, thank you for having me on here. Thank you for um, comprising the article and getting everyone together. It's, like, really important, I think, to, like, like to give everyone a voice and also to share so yeah i'm a big fan of what you're doing so thank you for having me thank you for listening to common threads produced by artifacts make sure to visit our website at discoverartifacts.com and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show while you're at it if you found value in the show we'd appreciate a rating or even better, if you'd simply share the show with a friend. Until next time.